I'm good, thanks. Thank you. Chocolate box. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have one of those. I get okay. it. We'll wait. <laughs> oh, really? Does it matter? Is it going? I can just press delete when I put the file. We'll talk about the chocolate muffin. We'll, we'll we are eat. eating chocolate muffins, or I am. There yeah. we go. This is uh, Ink Studs, and uh, we're sitting at uh, Brandon Graham's house. Thank you, Brandon. And my guest this week is Mr. Mark Bell, who is in town. Promoting is wonderful. I should have gotten a clarification of the pronunciation. Is it stroppy or stropy? It is stroppy. It is stroppy. Stroppy means obstreperous. See, that what does that mean? Fast. It's British. Like, stroppy is British slang for obstreperous, which is being difficult. 
You could also say shirti. Shirti. That's in, that's shrapi means the same as shir, shirti. I've never heard shirti uses. So. You've been hanging out in some British pubs or something. No, the <laughs> the guy who designed the Crass logo showed up at my San Francisco or Anders in my San Francisco event, and he he said he, he's British, so he was like. I know what stroppy means. Just in case you didn't <laughs> say that. He said also, he said, there's, you could also use the term, or shirt, shirty means the same thing. So was this news to you when he told you? So that what it meant? Yeah. Oh, no, I knew what stroppy meant. Okay. Yeah, it's like British, like, don't be so stroppy. So you're sending them all back, and you're going to call them by their name now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next oh, book will be shirty. You could make shirts that say shirty. Yes. <laughs> Cross out this. That's very name. meta. Mm-hmm. I was telling Brandon you have the shirt that you did for the tour. And Owen's here too. Are you yes. a regular host? Oh yeah, host? we should mention Owen. Mm-hmm. Owen Plummer, Vancouver. A regular guest? Regular guest. I think this is... Were you here? Were you on when we did the one at the... I think you were there for the... Oval team? Yeah. Yeah, I was where there. Mark DeLong was trying to feed the recorder with french fries. Yeah. <laughs> and Jason took everything off topic. <laughs> that was a an exemplary example of uh, the Nagadad process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be fun for for Owen to come and join us because Owen lives in the hood and it's kind of the casual nature big, of uh, ink studs. Big block away. It was a long walk. It is uphill though, right? Yeah, it's uphill. And I'm just up the street. There we go. And I live in the suburbs. I'm getting older. This has been the most nonsensical intro for an interview I've ever done. Really? I think it's up there. Mm-hmm. We can we can get weirder. Yeah. There we go. Um, I'll drop some E and it's going to get crazy in here. This is so nuts. I can't believe how nuts this is. <laughs> what do you think's in those chocolate muffins? <laughs> All the way from Bilo. <laughs> Real East Van tradition. Take some Bilo. chocolate muffins and get... Hi. Okay, everybody, straighten out. Clam up. <laughs> Let's get clammy. Um, so, as you're saying, Mark's been on tour. You've been on tour for, what, 10 days straight now? Well, it's over now. It's over now. Tour. Tour's up. The bus is broken down. It's over now. You're relaxed. Yeah. Welcome to Vancouver. It's nice to have you back. Thank you, Robin. Was the tour you and you and Anders the whole Me and on- Anders, yes. Anders and I. Me and Anders. Andres. Did you get any, did you get any guests stopping in any of the stops? Like, uh, like, well, you mean um, friends or? Yeah, anyone else do any signings with you? Oh, 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 no, no, it was just us. It was, uh, we start, I flew to Minneapolis and there was an event there. And, oh, I shouldn't bother explaining the itinerary. It's kind of dull. Maybe you could talk a bit about the, um, the talks you've been doing. Oh, okay, they started out well. Anders is was pretty consistent, consistent, but mine went through some transformation. It started; it was a real disaster when it started out. Yeah, um, I I hadn't quite worked it out. the The L A one was really crazy because I got I we attempted to uh, do a music. Well, I asked Ron Ricci to do to create some music musical accompaniment while I sort of 
red slash sung some of the Schnauzer band <laughs> songs that are in, in the book, but it was part of the golf course. Right. That it was, so it was kind of a bit of a disaster because they're not, I mean, they don't really exist as songs, so they don't have like a song structure or a melody. Yeah. So that just sounds like you're like a beat, like a beat poet. But it was kind of funny, but it was kind of a wreck because it was, if it was maybe at a different place, like Skylight Books is great, but it seemed like the kind of thing that should happen like in some crusty, <laughs> I don't know, some horrible some place. Van, yeah, yeah, some exactly. tavern. Yeah, some tavern. Some, some tavern, tavern that's rocking back and forth and people are falling. But the, but, uh, but the, but the, it, you know, it kind of made sense because we had a sort of poetry theme. I mean, Anders' book is called, of course, poetry. The new book is poetry is useless, and my and my book has a char- character in it called Clancy the poet. So there's poetry, and then there's the lyrics. So so I sort of focused on that. But then that didn't work. It was fun. It was kind of funny, but it mm-hmm. felt like I should sort of revise the the talk. So then I I contacted John and Quarterly and asked them to break down some other pages, and they were very nice. They did that for me. And I settled on sort of what what I did at Lucky's. Lucky's was I was very tired, so that was maybe the most tired <laughs> uh, uh, presentation I did. But that was basically it. The folks seemed to love it. Oh yeah, no, I was happy. No, it, it, it all kind of like the last four dates. I was I, it was sort of solidified. The, the talk was sort of solidified, so I was I was happy with it. Now, Stroppy is your first time you've done a book as like a contained big comic like that yeah did you kind of approach it knowing that or oh yeah i knew i should do a standalone narrative or like i knew i should just do a complete book like all new Mm -hmm. story one story when you that's what the market wants the demands of the people um when you approach a book like this because uh, it seems a lot of your other work, it's usually just like a couple of pages here and there from like newspapers and stuff. And then there's a couple of longer stories in Shrimpy and Paul. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. The longest, the, the, so this is the longest story I've done. It's not, it's only, it's only 60 pages. So it's not, that's why I called it a graphic novella, but the longest story previous to that was in Shrimpy and Paul. And it was 40 pages, the mighty kingdom of Shrimpy up. Mm-hmm. In two parts. So was it a, was it a specific thing of of what was it all based around? Was it at all based around how the book was going to be sold, or was it uh, that you wanted to do a story this length? Oh, I mean, I'm kidding. I'm sort of joking when I say it, it's what the market wants. But I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, now that we're in mm-hmm. this age of graphic novels, I thought, well, I should. And also, I applied. I applied for a grant to make a graphic novel, mm-hmm. and I was. I was turned down once and I reapplied and then like for this specific project and then I got it the following year. And so the, the goal was to, to make a graphic novel. So I made a graphic novella. Did you have, um, something particular in mind putting it together that kind of developed or was it all pretty structured in a way? Uh, well, well, uh, um, well, I was, I wanted to make, I actually, I kind of wanted to, I, I'm not trying to be weird with my stuff. I was trying to make a, a reg, I wanted to make a regular story. I was kind of looking at other stories and trying to think, oh, what could I, what skeleton could I hang this on? Mm-hmm. But, and then I was reading, I've mentioned this before, 
when I was reading these screenplay books. I was nervous and I had a lot of false starts. I was writing, I was writing out outlines. There was several, I wrote several outlines. I was thumbnailing all these different scenarios. I started on a page that actually had Chia Man in it. Clancy the Poet going to, started out with Clancy the Poet visiting Chia Man's coffee nook in the Lord Rupert Manor. And I was like, oh, this isn't right. And I was, you know, just trying to work out what, what size I was going to draw it. And, you know, I hadn't really drawn comics for six years. So, but I, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it wasn't a, I had an idea. Then I, so I settled on this one idea and the structure wasn't planned out, but it was somewhat. And, and I knew where I wanted to end up. Mm -hmm. So that was about it. But I knew certain things were going to happen. But, you know, some people who read it and just, I guess, think some people have said, oh, it wouldn't matter. Or one person said, it wouldn't matter if it was all out of order. But I don't know. I mean, I know it's not a traditional narrative. I don't know if it's, someone referred to it as anti-narrative. Oh, there's a story. Yeah, a I'm story. I've been getting, I have, to, I have to cut it out, though. I've been getting a little defensive about the whole thing. I, I get some of the same some of the same things. I think a lot of it is that story structure is just me being bitter about things, but I, I think a lot of it I feel like a lot of people have been very trained to have very limited types of story structures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you break that structure, people just assume it has no structure. Yeah. And mine's you know, people would say this is not a three this is not a three act story or whatever. Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not, but it kinda has the mess in the middle. It almost falls apart. Mm -hmm. I have to do a little razzmatazz to keep people interested. Do you think it's that people kind of get lost in the environments and kind of forget what is going on throughout it? I don't know. I can't speak for them. I think some. I think some people who have commented on it maybe even haven't read this one. But you think it's uh, like it's poetry? Do you think it's like freeform poetry or? Uh. Well, and it may be in a sense that it's, I'm always trying to fit funny little lines in there, but then you can follow the character, you know, there's a character and then he's in the next panel and he's colored the same, mm -hmm. and then maybe there's another character. So how much pre-planning do you do to do a book like this? Well, I, well, I, well, I had, like, like I had notes, I was taking notes. Like, do you do layouts before you do a page? Oh no! I just start on the page. Okay. I mean, I did. Yeah, I just basically. Yeah, I basically start. Sometimes I'll sketch it out, mm -hmm. like really tiny or something. Sometimes I'll thumbnail it if it's going to be uh, complicated. Right. What about jokes? Do you do you have any jokes in mind ever before you're doing a thing, or do you just kind of let it happen on the page? Well, I was a little stiff when I when I first started, and then as it moved along, I don't know if this happens to you, but I was getting more ideas. Mm -hmm. So then I would jot down different ideas of things I wanted to happen. And then, and then later on, I would start compiling these lists. So I, would have, I was getting all these ideas, so I'd write down all this, like make lists with little boxes next to them, and then go back later and check off what I had, an idea I'd used, and then I'd recompile the list nice. and take out the ones that I'd used. And so I have these, I have some lists of leftover ideas. Huh. Uh, Sounds like a fun process to work. Yeah, it's kind of like a Grocery mildly, yeah, mildly OCD. I mean, often that, that's how it works with, not to get, not to talk about my art stuff too much, but 
I'm using like limited supplies of paper. Sometimes I see it as trying to use up what's left in the fridge and making something out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, the art stuff, I mean, it's, it's interesting. That it feels very different than what you've been doing more recently with your artwork, like your fine art stuff. Um, because that stuff, like look, stuff I've been looking at, seems to be getting more complex, dense. Um, where with this, you're kind of stripping back a lot. Oh, it is actually. Yeah, people stuff. will say, "Oh, it's really, it's really detailed," and I'm like, "Well, it's not. It's actually pared down." Yeah. Like, and I knew I was, I was designing it for color, of course. So, I like the idea that was there was going to be these wide open areas of flat color. Mm -hmm. um, well, not huge, but you know, like maybe like you say, compared to compared to the, the art stuff. It's pretty it's pretty spare in relative to my other work. It's still busy, but I think you're talking I think I saw one interview you talked a bit about like a little bit of a clear line influence. Yeah. As well. I think so. I guess that's just drawing at a certain size with a with a with a certain pen. What page, what size were your pages for this? The the imagery was uh, <laughs> 12, uh, 12 by 18. The page size is a little bigger. So yeah. it shrunk to about 55%. But I remember like seeing other originals here, and they're a lot smaller than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these were bigger. For me, these were fairly big. And then when you're, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so yeah, maybe that changed, yeah, maybe that changed the look too because they're a little bigger. So the, the coloring definitely makes me think of clear line stuff. Yeah, I like the idea that it might, like it, I like that look. And what did, how would that be defined? Is that just like Tintin? Yeah, yeah. I always just think of it as Tintin. Yeah, Tintin or yeah. I'd say Swart is probably. A I'd say oh, Tintin yeah. and guys that yeah. try to draw like her. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. Always, I always think it's funny. It's like it's like oh, we we created a, a name for an art thing, which is just guys that draw like this guy that didn't have a name for yeah. his art. Yeah, and I'm not saying it looks like Tintin or anything yeah, ridiculous no. like that, or nor are you, I'm sure. But but it's but it's yeah, it's I like I like that it looks sort of. It's like consistent, like it's so crazy. So I think it's good that it has like a very clear color design and and I don't know. Did you kind of give yourself like a limited palette to use? Sort of, yeah, yeah, fairly, yeah, fairly limited, I guess. Not, yeah, I guess I don't know. Not like it's like two colors or something. But. Was Tintin ever something when you were growing up that you're really into at all? Or well, I I had a copy of. Uh, Flight 714, which I'm told is maybe the, the, or it's later and it's not as good as the earlier stuff, which I don't think I've, I have, I haven't, I haven't read the earlier stuff, I guess. Right. But, but I would read that over and over again. Yeah, I've got a Tintin tattoo on my arm here. Yeah, no, I loved that book. I would, I looked at it so much. And I think a cousin of mine had some other ones, so when I was there, I would look at those. What other, I'm wondering, um, for some reason, your work cards reminded me of the, the early Popeye stuff. Was that ever an influence? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, that's the way I'm setting up the comics. Like, the way you're looking at the space is sort of influenced by that. I guess I, I've been calling it a vaudeville style as opposed to, like, a cinematic style. Right. Where you'd have close-ups. I mean, there's a couple close-ups in there. And then someone... Some, there was a review of the book, and I liked that they... Often I get compared to Crumb, of course, which makes sense, I guess. I mean, he's been influenced by all that old stuff, too. Mm -hmm. But And I've been influenced by him. But, but this person pointed out how my work was different than Crumb, yeah. which I really appreciated. 
there's something we've talked with other folks about is the idea of like you kind of have your influences and you take them in and, and you kind of have to work them out of your system. I always think mm-hmm. of it as the difference between either eating them and processing them or trying to wear them like a suit and you don't want to wear it. You want to, yeah. you, want to you want it to become part of you and develop its own thing. Yeah, unless you grind them all up and then make a suit out of them all mixed together. <laughs> a skin suit. A skin suit. Yes, a skin suit. <laughs> hamburger influence. skin suit of influence. <laughs> the artist, the uh-huh. flesh of the artist. Crumbs is all old tiny hats sewn together. Yeah. And erections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Well, it's interesting that, that uh, you compared to Crumbs so much because it seems like your um, subject matter that you write about is dramatically different from his. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. There was some funny review of... I got a kick out of a pure pajamas where someone was saying, man, I picked this up. It looked like it was going to be crazy underground comics. And then I read it, and it was so tame. Like, the person felt ripped off. There's nipples on the cover of Kirby and Paul. Yeah, my, well, but my work's notice. sort of like PG-13. And, and once I was interviewed by this French guy... Xavier, I forget his last name. Either, there? yeah, he's good. It was a good interview, but he was like, he thought, he thought I was asexual. He was like, are, are you like he? He was expecting this asexual person. I don't know what how you would how an asexual person yeah. acts or anything. But <laughs> There's, I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to say? But be. so 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 he he and that's what he was he was very curious. I mean, he's coming maybe from a. A French angle, which is a little right. sexier than uh, all the men wear high heels. Yeah, it's interesting that somebody would think like, "Oh, this guy isn't dumping all of his erotic feelings onto the page. He must not have them ever." Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he just thought he, he but he also thought there was some the way I would draw bodies or something. Maybe in the art stuff, he was he was thinking there was some disconnect disconnect between me and my brain and my body. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'd have to go look at it again. I don't want to put words into his mouth. But you're not feeling that? You feel connected to your body? I don't know. I mean, I'm only relative. I mean, it's all relative, right? Maybe someone else is way more connected to their body and I'm not, I'm not them. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe someone else is way more connected to your body. Yeah, maybe, (laughs) maybe someone's connected to my body right now. Brandon, move over. (laughs) What is going on in here? This is getting weird again. (laughs) Um, I like the idea of the the, um, Popeye stuff. Um, Because originally the Popeye, like, it wasn't a Popeye comic. It was, was it Thimble Theater? Thimble Theater, yeah. And then it was just like this roving cast of characters. Those early ones are so much fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like their characters seem to have that same kind of nostalgia that he sort of put on his characters. But I don't know. The time that he was drawing it was probably more of a nostalgic of yeah that time. But your yeah. your characters have a seems like they're they have that nostalgic look to them. Yeah, that he he had. But you you've also taken the characters in their universe, and that is kind of stuff that you've gone through and there's always like with your work and like Jason's work there seems to be this kind of inner clubhouse 
yeah. thing. There's like these jokes that, well, you might not get them if you don't know what the hell. Yeah. Like if you haven't lived in London, Ontario or know all yeah. the things that went on with you at London, Ontario or that, you know, yeah. like some of the stories where from Sackville or stuff, you, you might, there's other jokes that you probably could find if you've yeah. hung out with you a little bit and found. Yeah, maybe, right? I guess so. Things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like that really adds to it with how dense your work is. Like, if you don't get everything, there's still enough on every page where there's something. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah the, the joke, the, the inside joke thing, I guess the but the funny thing about that is that the joke is there's no joke or something. Yeah. Like, it's not like one could decode and go, oh. <laughs> like, when we when we say beef baron application, or like that, that's, there's some lyrics I took from... Uh, uh, books Jason McLean and I made with his permission and he wrote some more he gave me some more lyrics for some of the Schnauzer songs so I edited those and kind of made patchworks of different things and then at one point there's a list of different objects which were just this sheet of paper for a road rally competition do you know what that is? It's where you there's you're given a list and you have to run around town and find different things. Oh, okay. like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, like a scavenger hunt. For some reason, this it said road rally at the top. Maybe that's another name for it. Maybe that's what they call it in London, Ontario. But um, it's a weird city. But anyway, but anyway, on the you know, there's just a list. So so in this song, there's a list, and it might be an inside joke, but it's like a beef baron application. The beef baron's a strip club in London, Ontario. So it's not. It's just that what is it is. There's no joke. Right. <laughs> no joke. But it's such a funny name that you don't need to know that to get joy. Yeah, you don't need to know that. So and that's that's like when maybe when the, po when the poetry comes in, right? Yeah. What's the strip club in LA that's really famous that has a horrible name? Uh, Peppermint Rhino, I think, or something like that. And also in London, there's Fle Fabulous Flesh Gordon. <laughs> See, that's good. In uh, Seattle, there's a show box and a show room a block away from each, yeah. each other. And only one of them's a strip club. Yeah, there's uh, that whole London art scene. They, they uh, like the those guys that uh, were in the Nile Spasm band and all that. Yeah, they Greg all Cornell. they all have that kind of regional. Oh kind yeah, of yeah. Oh no, for sure. I mean, I like putting in stuff. Yeah, I like putting in local stuff. But it's uh, for just to give it. I don't know to to bring in this sort of banal element, like stuff that's around you. There's a sort of other people might find it absurd or whatever, but it's they're kind of like insider jokes or things or yeah. things that you'd throw in there that they're yeah. funny, but other people you'd, you'd find them totally banal. Yeah, like when it, yeah, because I think one of the lines is, How will kangaroo variety survive? I mean, kangaroo variety is a convenience store in London, Ontario. <laughs> but again, that's that's another, it's, it sounds <laughs> like a great year if you'd completely made. Both the that and the in the strip club name up, they, I think they work just as well. Yeah, it's like poet. It's like poetry. Like those parts are poetry anyway. That's but. very Jason McLeany too. Like that grabbing locations and he's yeah. very like fixated on like yeah. spacing and mapping. Yeah, and it's like Owen McClane. was. Yeah, it's like Owen was saying those read those Lon London those London Ontario regional artists from the sixties. They were they were referencing what was around them. They were like very, they're hometown proud. 
They didn't want to go to Toronto, let alone New York. You Who's know, the, like we're guy. London. We live in London. Who's the guy that uh, did those? Uh, had all those little um, letter writing clubs and stuff. Uh, Ray Johnson. Yeah, Ray Johnson. He uh-huh. did that sort of thing. Like, oh yeah, create these like weird uh, yeah. names or even pull them from where oh, he yeah. lived and stuff. Like and, I don't know. Like I'm a huge Ray Johnson fan, and he could throw anything at me usually, and I would just be like, okay. Like I don't. And our, I guess they're inside jokes, but or they're, they're maybe yeah, they're maybe just sort of some form of. They had the sponge, uh, swimming club or something. Or well, there was club. the well, there was the, the Vancouver branch, of, oh, they had their own name. I forget what it was. I don't but, even know who this person is. Oh, Ray Johnson. He's pretty. Oh, you don't. He's, you should check him out. He's pretty interesting. He's um, there's a there's a movie about him called How to Draw a Bunny. Oh yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, but he's 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 very funny. He he did a lot of uh, correspondence art. Oh, okay. He would send. We'd have all these uh, lists of people um, that he would mail stuff to, and he'd mail st- like he'd mail something to you and say, "Please add to this and send to oh, someone okay. else," or or "Please add to this and return to Ray Johnson." So he had all these systems. He was sort of uh, navigating. Um, uh, creating this whole uh, network, and he and he and he he also made like really elaborate collages and stuff, and he would just he's constantly sort of joking around, um, and he's also kind of a great cartoonist in a way. If you you'll see you'll look at, if you look at his work, mm-hmm. it's like he's a great draftsman. He he has very good penmanship, and he has this little bunny character that he would repeat and he would write like he would draw these little bunny heads and then he'd write he was he sort of poked fun at the idea of fame as well so he'd write like some famous person's name under the bunny head but the bunny and then then draw another bunny head and someone else some other famous famous person it's mm-hmm. interchangeable i've seen other stuff like that. and he was one and, and he was one of the first pop artists in a way like he was making james dean collages before mm-hmm. andy warhol so this is like 1950s, 1960s. Uh, yeah, 50s. He probably yeah, he, 50s, 60s. I mean, he died in the 90s. Okay. And then he died, and then I was in Chicago in the mid 90s, and this wasn't that long after he died. And they, the, he would he would never do shows. He was he was represented by the Feigen, but they would he would never let them do any shows. Then he died, and they did this show, but they might have done a couple with them, but they were, he was like difficult. Yeah. Because he just would make fun of it. He was just making fun of the whole thing. But, um, uh, yeah, the show was amazing because then they, they showed all these really elaborate collages that just kind of, they were really amazing. Anyway, we're getting away from comics though, right? No, no, it doesn't all, have to be uh, strict. It's all visual. Uh, your, yeah, yeah. I think f- I'm more interested in just kind of. I like hearing this, like what folks are into and what influences them. And yeah, but watch the movie; it's very funny. He dr- he drops a hundred foot long hot dogs over New York from a helicopter. <laughs> that sounds like a fun way to spend evening. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about how you work in a lot of a lot of the people who I, I consider your contemporaries. Their their work feels, even though your work is obviously has some nostalgia in it, it doesn't feel like you're trying to emulate another era in the way that like Seth or like uh, Chris Ware are. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, it's true, actually. I think, yeah, mine, mine does look like, 
It, it, it has this old timey sense to it, but then it's not. But then it's also not at all. I guess. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The character, sure. the characters even seem to be going through like modern problems that we all go through, like right. mm-hmm. rent, rent, renting, landlords, yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah. How how autobiographical does it get for you? Uh, this is, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll read it. I'll look at it in a, in a few years and be like, oh, this is about, I think I've heard people say that about their work. They'll look at it later. I forget who said that, but I was like, oh yeah, I can see how that, I can see that. You have a clear, like, oh, I might look at it later and be like, oh, this is, this is about that. But I have an idea for a more, I came up with an idea for the, for another book in the same world with a different character that's actually more personal. But this, I mean, this does have personal elements to it for sure. Maybe just a life in general. Mm. I remember so it's everything's at coming at you. During your talk, you're talking about like certain characters were based on certain experiences or people you kind of knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 For example, the I mentioned um, this character who's when uh, Sean is kicking his mother out of Lord Rupert Manor. She's with this uh, character, this man. Wearing a Batman shirt, and he's that's he's actually sort of based on someone who was living in an illegal apartment in part of my house, the house I lived in. Mr. Like, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was like this: the wraparound porch had been turned into an apartment at some point, and then the landlord put someone in there. How bizarre! Just the the place where people put potted plants and rocking chairs. Yeah, like it's a pretty. It was a pretty big wraparound porch. Yeah, but it was closed in. Was this in Ontario or? Yeah, it must have been horrible in the winter. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, the the he was in there for one winter, and the winter the winter wasn't too bad. But then we sort of thought, oh, he's he. This is too crazy. The landlord can't cram people in like this. But it's good he wasn't there for the following winter because it was really bad. He would have gone completely insane in there. It was like 80 square feet or something. Jesus.
Kind of interested, like you said, you haven't drawn, you've just been doing the fine art stuff, so have you been, like a lot of, a lot of the stories, like you got still got stories from your old Rupert Manor, Snellsers, and all these other characters, so you've been doing these around for six years, or? Oh, you, you, have I been thinking about it? Yeah, how long have you been thinking about this book, or, you, or do you, how long do you stew on stories and edit them in your head? Like I know, I when I work, I lot there's tons of process in your head that you never gets on paper, or never you edit stuff in your head and you. Take oh yeah, I mean you, yeah, you can have an idea. I mean, you can have an idea for something, but, but then to, but then to to distill it. Yeah. Even though my stuff's really busy, to distill it onto a page and have people be able to read it, or because you have to simplify a bit. Like every it's time, just, it's impo- It's almost impossible. Your mind's eye is so elab- can be so elaborate that they'll come up with these impossible ideas. Like when I was, you know, there's that golf course in the back of the book, which is fairly elaborate, but when I was picturing it, it was way crazier. Or I remember initially it was going to be an obstacle course. I was wondering about the golf course part. I wonder if that was like you, after doing like the four panel grid for a while, just kind of like wanting to go to what's more comfortable and creating these weird... Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that really. I planned on taking a, breaking from the story into this other, or to a shift in style that I just thought would break up the sort of, uh, relent, the, it's a fairly relentless story. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted, a, I wanted a, a breaking point and it wasn't like, oh, I just feel like drawing differently. It was more like I, I specifically wanted a shift. And initially, yeah, it was going to be some kind of obstacle course. But then when I, then I got the golf course idea, I was like, oh, this is good. I'm going to do this. And then and then I got the idea that okay, it's gonna the golf course is going to be a greatest hits album that rich people will pay money to go play, like rich Schnauzer fans. Nice. So there, Schnauzer's gonna beat with a Kiss uh, golf course in Las Vegas. Yeah, well, Kisses. maybe Kiss can give it their best shot and yeah. come up with something, but I don't know. We'll see. Now let's talk a little bit about. Schnauzer in general. Do they, does Kiss have a golf course? Yeah, in Las Vegas. Oh, they do? So you can go oh, you're play, kidding. You can uh, putt your ball up, kiss uh, Gene Simmons' stomach. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. <terrible>. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Now they have that whole course there, and there's different And then you have to lick his boots? Yeah. Uh, I don't <laughs> I, it's been it's been uh, my lifelong goal to keep my balls off of Gene Simmons' tongue. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> okay. That's as that's as weird as we're gonna get today. <laughs> Nothing's gonna talk. I don't know if that's it's so weird or just like hilarious. Statement of life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, now, sh- the was there ever any Schnauzer performances? There was can- the there was cancellations. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys were supposed to do shows like I'm talking. Must have been like what in the nineties. Well, there was yeah. The Schnauzers were supposed to open for the Molestics. They were like a kind of like a uh, jazzy joke. Mm-hmm. I don't know big joke band. I don't know. I sort of forget what they were like. I know I saw them. They were anyway. They were sort of funny. Funny. The guy, I remember him being really crass. I think. I think he was really funny and crass. Anyway, so we asked them. We would do this. We would say, "Oh, can you put the Schnauzers on the bill?" So. This one specifically was kind of funny. I was out. I think I was on the East Coast, so Jason was sort of Jason McLean was sort of planning it. But uh, we were on the bill, and then the show happened. We were supposed to open or something like that, and then there was an announcement. I wasn't there, so I'm just told what happened. But there was an announcement like, "Oh, we're really sorry. The Schnau- the All Star Schnauzer Band has to cancel tonight. Um, on off Schnauzer. I guess that's me." Was hit by lightning at this so and so celebrity golf tournament, and the Schnauzers are currently back to the golf. Back to the yeah, the, yeah, the Schnauzers are currently bedside, uh, so they can't make it. However, in honor of International Pie Day, we have some uh, pie here for you, and if you're lucky, there might be a zine on on your under your chair or something. Or Jason made these All Star Schnauzer band zines, and then you know there there was the waffle. The Waffle Show. Waffle Parade. Yeah, and Owen was in... Were you involved in that? Uh, there, or, yeah, or was that before not, your time? No, I, I went to that... Uh, it was in one of the... Down in, near Gastown, I think it was. And Jason, there was a parade, and there was a Waffle King before I was Waffle King. You were Waffle King? Oh, yeah, King. you were Waffle King for which... For that which? was for the show that you guys had in... Uh, I forget what... That was gallery on Tracy Homer's? Lawrence? No... no. That was even before that. It was down on Homer Street. Is that you guys have to eventually go in there and get your art back because oh the, oh right at uh, right at um at uh, the Ore Gallery. The Ore Gallery is that the like one that was like underground. Uh, it was in a building beside the Homer Cafe across the street. And the Ore Gallery, and it was, and then it moved. Okay. Was then it, it moved the close. What? Oh no, the Helen Pitt. The Helen Pitt. The Helen yeah. Pitt. Oh, okay. So, but you were at the so you were at the the, the yeah. waffle show though. Yeah, I was at okay. the waffle show. How were the waffles? Then who was? It was there was a waffle. There was someone making waffles. Yeah. What's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? But a siren would go off every time a waffle was ready. And Robert, isn't that right? Isn't that what happened? We had a siren. Uh, I have fake memory of it. And then Robert Dayton uh, serenaded, I think he and Julian serenaded the Waffle Queen as she entered the building. Gary the Waffle Queen. So there was a parade down Hastings. Gary in the convertible with a sash, and we were all sort of walking. There was only like two, 15 of us. So the Waffle King and Queen didn't make waffles? There well, was well, the waffle. The, well, this was the Waffle Queen for the Waffle Show. And no, they didn't make waffles, but someone else made waffles at the event. And then Owen was the waffle king. Yeah, with Terry. Yeah. Or the king and queen. Yeah, king and queen. Right. And then we Did you guys make waffles? We made waffles at yeah. the opening at that, right. that art show. Right? Okay, right. Yeah. All right. You, you so, took so your duties to heart. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, so we, we went full on. There's a different <laughs> waffle situation. I just want to know that the waffle king and queen know how to make waffles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
I don't, don't want to live in a world where waffle uh, royalty doesn't know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, I don't want a waffle puppet government. We even had, <laughs> we even had crowns and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Were they made of, like, waffle cones? Uh, they had waffles on them, yeah. So people are confused about the work, but I'm also confused, so I don't know what's happening. I don't know. So uh, there was never any Schnauzer band performances, though? I guess not. Because didn't Jason do, like, some kind of one-man band thing up sometime? I remember it. He did. didn't happen. What's that good jacket? They put a record out where you guys were listed on it, but if you follow the tracks, it, they're track 15 or something. It's just dead it, air. Dead air. It skips over yeah, to the on, It's band. on a Mint Records. <laughs> we're on a Mint Records compilation oh, called nice. Vancouver Special. They all start. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's just nice. dead air. Nice. And it's called. the song is called Angry Young Schnauzer. Jason do something with Rob up good jacket one time with his Snauzer band. Oh, I don't maybe. Do you think that this? Do you think that the kind of um, things outside of comics get seen by many people that catch on to the like? Do you do you do you think that your readers of your work are able to follow all the different threads everywhere? Uh, probably not because there's too many. But maybe I mean, if something's repeated enough, you can sort of follow it. Right, like. Like if there's all these callbacks, like for example, if there was another book and the the Schnauzers were in it, people might be like, "Oh yeah, right, that those guys." But then they wouldn't. But then hopefully they wouldn't necessarily have to even know that this this was also this art project. Right. You know, you're, you've created uh, in the new book. There's like, from what I remember, there's like this main Schnauzer band. Now there's like these. Schnauzer below the Schnauzer guys. Oh yeah, there's a hierarchy. There seems to be like these guys trying to learn in the basement, trying to learn how to be a Schnauzer, or le- trying to learn uh, song lyrics and stuff, and trying to be that uh, so they could get auditions for being the big hierarchy of well, Schnauzer well, world. Well, yeah, there's sort of this hierarchy. I mean, Sean, the character Sean, wants to climb the Schnauzer ladder, so to speak. I guess so. He's and then. And then I don't see this as I don't, but I, then I don't see it as a definitive version of the Schnauzer band because Jason could create his own fiction or story about the Schnauzers, and it could be completely different. And then we also, and then we also, I do, I wrote a, or there's a, t- a Schnauzer timeline in one of the Gansfelds. So there's like a one of those rock band history things. So that details all this information as I well. Like, I like how this world that you guys have created is just so big and complex and there's just so much that feeds into it. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully someone, if they didn't know any of that, could read that book and be like, oh, okay. Like, oh, it's crazy, but... Are you familiar with Matt Howarth's work in the the 80s and 70s? Oh, what did he... I know that. He had, uh, like, Post Brothers and Savage Henry. I know I looked at that stuff, but I, I never got around to really reading it. Was it... Was it? Did it have a similar... Yeah, it had a fictional band called oh. Bull, Bull Daggers, I think. And okay. And he put out... He put out albums by them. Oh, yeah. Like, electronic music and... Oh, he um, made the music? Yeah. And uh, stuff that you could just mail order. And, did he, and he had a story for them? Sorry. Yeah. Ah. No, I think, I think it's a fun thing to play with. Sound like a much more elaborate version. What's that? He would. Your sound like a much more. Oh. Well, well, the thing he would do is he would bring in um, real bands and have them guest star in the comic book. So like the residents would be. Uh, oh really? Mm-hmm. And like I think Yellow was in an issue. Oh, okay. Like, bow, bow, 
<laughs> the they song of the some 80s. good stuff other than that. I'm just that's the yellow song that most people know. No yellow. Ferris Bueller. I, I like the I like the sh- I like the idea of the Schnauzers being in the comics and being like this corporate organization or something. Uh-huh. And then you can have lyrics, but it doesn't mean you know. But then you don't. It doesn't even have to be a song, but it just implies one. Mm-hmm. It's weird how the you know the Jamie Hewlett Gorillas thing, where he actually made this real band. A real fake band, and I find that so much less exciting than implying that there's a real band and only getting it in the, in the comic books. Why did it, the gorillas exist in his comics? Or no, they were just completely fabricated by him and oh. a couple musicians. Oh, okay. I think the guy from Blur. He yeah, and those characters were actually in comics before the band came out. Were they? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's just my own thing or whatever, but I I, I like the idea of not knowing what a fake band sounds like as opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you never want to hear what uh, uh, Hopi's band sounded like. It's implied, yeah. It makes life easier. L7, right? <laughs> Babes and Toyland's coming to town. I'm excited for that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, was Earlier, Owen mentioned the uh, Nihilus Spasm Band, uh, London, Ontario's Proud Sons. Um, is that kind of a bit of an influence on the idea of the Schnauzer band. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Jason. Yeah, I guess so. Probably. We thought it was very funny. I mean, you could take out those records from the library in London when we were in, when we went to Beale Art Art School. So yeah, I think they they were probably they, they you know they were just so ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like those the the, the hilarious preambles that. Bill Exley would do the introductions that would start the songs were just so hilarious. So, I mean, yeah, in a way, the Schnauzer band was kind of a bit, maybe a nod to them or like uh, influenced by that kind of funny, funny idea. <laughs> but like, of course, we didn't really exist. But. Just kind of in a nice opposite of how they were very existent. Yeah, yeah they, they were. Like, they were right there every week, or they still the are. Same night or like once a month. Well, uh, I went every to every Monday or something. Well, they, yeah, they uh, traditionally they've gotten together every Monday. I went to one of the one of the Monday meetings, but it was just them sort of uh, sitting around and talking. Like sometimes they don't even play, and they'll just argue, have these funny arguments and stuff. And uh, they were sort of arguing about. Are they always public? No, no. They're well. No, I think I don't think they would. I don't know if they'd necessarily stop people from coming in. Like I wasn't stopped, but <laughs> but I think they're. It's generally just them because they would. Practice at the force traditionally at the Forest City Gallery. It's like an artist-run center in London, so Ontario, Canada. So, uh, but anyway, they were. It was pretty funny. They were arguing about printing whether the lyrics should be printed or not, because someone wanted to make a book of Nihilus Spasm Band lyrics. So there was a discussion of whether if that would benefit the material material or not. And maybe a, maybe they're also discussing putting in publishing songs that had never been performed, mm-hmm. like that they had lyrics for. And they're like the... F- if I'm remembering correctly. They're one of the first noise bands. I think so, yeah. Like yeah. early 70s. Yeah, yeah late, si- late 60s. Yeah, because like Throbbing Gristle didn't start until mid-70s. Uh-huh. So it's interesting that they both come from art circles to make noise music, to music. 
Well, earlier you're comparing, before we, before you guys showed up, you're comparing Mark's work to um, Fort Thunders. Um, just the kind of uh, schools of similarities of, um, because you predate Fort Thunder. Yeah, I mean, I was already, yeah, I mean, I guess I learned about them in like 96 or something. Oh, okay. My stuff's, or, or, yeah, 96. I mean, my stuff's so much, I guess my stuff's a lot goofier Yeah. than their stuff. Maybe. There's something interesting, though, that you and um, Brinkman are both doing um, in completely different ways, but you're both kind of exploring spaces. Uh-huh. Like, where your characters just kind of go through these spaces, and with Brinkman, um, it's the same, like, they're going through... Yeah, I really like that about his work, for sure. How, um, coming across that stuff in the mid-90s, um, because it was very different, I know Ron Rigi as well, I think he was a big... I'm presuming it was a big... Oh, yeah. I mean, I went when I first met Ron, I guess I met Ron in 96. There's this crazy story. I drove down to to, to Cambridge with my friend Neil and this uh, hilarious guy named RJ, who's just nuts. Really hilarious guy. But anyway, in this um, uh, funny van. Anyway, so we, we ended up in Cambridge. And then, uh, I won't get into the whole story. It's not It's not that exciting anyway, but... But uh, met Ron, and then he was like, "Hey, do you want to? I'm going tomorrow. I'm going to this crazy warehouse space in Providence where there's these nuts, and they do all these crazy posters and blah blah." So he's explaining Fort Thunder, and I couldn't go. But then later, I learned about that stuff, and then you know, it, it, and then that stuff was pretty inspiring because it seemed just to come out of nowhere. Did you feel a kinship with it? I guess so. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, then I, well, I guess so, and then I, but I, my stuff, I guess, is goofier, and then I, and then I sort of got in touch with Paper Rat, and we would trade, like, send stuff to each other, and I think Matt Brinkman might have been like, whoa, why is this guy so excited about my work? I remember hassling him once to, uh, I was like, you gotta reprint, you gotta reprint, uh, Multiforce as a book, because he was just gonna let it lie in those newspapers, like, separately. And so I was like, you gotta, come on. Because you don't want to, you know, he's, and he's like, no, I'm a printmaker. I only print stuff once and then that's it. And I was like, yeah, but what about the kids? What if those become collector's items? And then they'll only be for available to rich people. They've got to reprint them and then the kids can buy them for 20 bucks. Anyway, whatever. So yes. I was hassling him. He was just laughing. He's like, why does this guy, why does this guy care? <laughs> why does this guy get out of my face? That, that's that. a valid point, though. Yeah, it's, I think it's a valid point. It's the editing uh, part of Mark Bell. Yeah, oh, get totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Job. And then and then I was talking to Dan, <laughs> and then later I was talking to Dan Nadell. I was like, Dan, what about, he's, he said he had an extra set of paper rodeos. And I was like, Dan, come on. Let's cut up the, cut out all the multi-forces out of paper rodeo, make a paste up, and make it into a new, make it into a newspaper, print it up, give it away for free, send Matt a box, and then there'll be a multi-force uh, uh, newspaper, because that's when Dan was doing those... Against the, the comics comics? Well, no, he was doing these newspaper format things, like, mm -hmm. um, there was the Matthew Thurber one, there was a Centauro one, I did one with, with Peter Thompson called The Hobbit. There were these newspapers, so he was getting them done at this cheap place in Chinatown where the guy still used like a paste-up camera. 
Yeah. Right. So we immediately, so we had a we had a beer and we talked about it. Then we immediately went to his office and started chopping up the paper rodeos. I did this paste up. <laughs> I did wow. a multi-force paste up, and then I went and I cut up, I cut up, cut out all the Brinkman ads yeah. out of every issue and Jesus. made like a collage on the inside page of the Brinkman ads. So we got this thing all ready to rock. We could have just gone to the and I and I and then I used the cover Brinkman did. Uh, for one of the issues as the cover. What yeah. point did Berkman know about this? Well, uh, what's that? At what point did he know? Oh, here, I'm going to get into that. Okay. So then, so anyway, then, so then, so then, uh, so, so then a couple days later, I think Dan was like, yeah, I don't know. I think he talked to his girlfriend and she was like, I don't know. He shouldn't really do that. You got to get his permission. And I, and I was like, yeah, okay. So Dan contacted me. He was like, yeah, I don't know, Mark. Like we should ask Matt. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So I wrote Matt an email. I said, Matt, I had this crazy idea. We made a paste up for Multiforce. Free newspaper. Send it out to the stores. Just like an issue of Paper Rodeo. Send you a box. What do you think? I don't know what I said exactly. And then he just wrote back, actually, no, I don't think that would benefit the project. Or something like really simple. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was that. But then, later, it sort of... Uh, it came out, the same basic idea came out as that. The big white book. Yeah, the book, yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty much, uh, but they did not do a collage of all the ads. Oh. I want that collage. But I, in a way, I want I, that as a poster. But in a way, I think I sort of designed that book, but then I think Ben Jones took it and re, like, you know, I don't know, I don't think they necessarily handled those paste up, my gorgeous paste ups. I don't oh, know how that. So is it important for you just for work that you're excited about to get out there, no matter how? Oh yeah, for sure, like that's why, you know, I love Owen Plummer's work, Owen who's with us, and I mean that's why he's one of the Mickey reasons Connery. that I made the Nogadot book, like Owen and Mark Connery, all these people, like mm-hmm. I wanted to get, you know, I guess I have a, I'm not some big wig, but I have a little bit of, I can mm-hmm. talk to these publishers, and that's why I made the Nogadot book, and that's why... Because I thought that work should be sort of captured, and then because it, it's you know because people get tired and the stuff goes away, and well that and then, is... and then that's why I made the Rudy book because I was like this is important work, and then I also recently edited a book of Joe Hale's comics, which are pretty pretty good comics or excellent comics from the '90s that no one would really mm-hmm. know about now, but but now there's a there's a book of them. Do you think you'll edit any more books? Uh, do you think you'll do you have more editing projects? Uh, well, it's yeah, it's like you know, it's a labor of love. I, I, I'll, oh, I probably will do something, but, but uh, I have to be careful. Like Nagadot almost like destroyed me. That was a very intense process. What do you think? It seems like there's multiple camps when it comes to talk. Because I'm always, uh, I'm always talking to people on the internet, and I'll just like. If I find a bootleg version of a comic I like, I'll yeah. just post it. Yeah. And uh, I've definitely gotten some shit from people. Being oh, really? Like, like, why are you giving away this person's work for free? And I'm like, well, uh, I just want people to read it. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's, a, you know, there's something to that. Yeah. Right? No. Uh, we've talked before in passengers of the Dog Dog, but I think it's important to say it is an amazingly, let's say, important, again, uh, book, especially as far as capturing um, Canadian, this Canadian drawing history um, I think it's disappeared and out of print at this point but if you can get your hands on copies definitely check it out because it's also 
I mean, it's got your stuff. It's got Owen's stuff. Jason McLean. Um, Robert Dayton's in there, I think, in some spots. Um, but just so many other folks. Um, and it's a chance to really see mostly Vancouver, right? Vancouver and London. Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose Toronto. Canadian. Um, now, when you did the first Mark Connery book, I guess you self-published that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I read somewhere that you were thinking of doing like other Canadian Oh yeah, works or is that? Yeah, I think in, I think in I think on the in the publishers in from the uh, publishing in DC, I said like Half World Books is dedicated to rescuing. I don't know. I made some statement about about um, like some kind of oh, what do you call it? Uh, Mo or uh, statement of intent for the publish for the publish for the half world books but I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I will do, I don't have no immediate plans to do more but I'm all, but I'm I think what well what's happening now is I'm sort of working a little bit with this uh, pub, new publisher called or newish publisher called swimmers group uh, in Toronto they're like a, a kind of boutique publisher like they do small runs of books mm-hmm. so so in a way maybe that energy has been transformed over there because he'll I'm sort of an editor I'm not like super involved, but I'm sort of an editor in the way that I'll make suggestions to to Sebastian who runs who runs the place. Like for example, uh, the Joe the Joe Hale book was was an idea of mine, and I actually edited it. And then he he has sort of loose plans to do uh, this Shane Eamon book called nice. uh, Hazy Lightning Being. It's a, a small you know a small little paperback book of like crazy great great writing. And little drawings and stuff. It's a great book, so it, so it would really be nice to see that actually exist again. Because he probably Shane probably only made like forty copies of it or something. And then I was talking to Matthew Thurber, and he wanted to serialize uh, his new story, um, art comic. And I thought, well, you know, I suggested, well, why don't you you could do it through Swimmers Group. Mm-hmm. So so I sort of arranged that. So I didn't really have a whole lot to do with it, but I just sort of like negotiated the donut deal. Are there any other um, Canadian works you'd like to see highlighted? Folks that kind of like Mark Connery who's may have like fallen under the radar? Yeah, I mean there's a lot of stuff I really like. There's a, like when I sometimes I'm astounded when I think about all these people. Um, like Owen Plummer. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, all these you know, I like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Put you on the spot. What's that? Put you on the spot. No, no, I'm not just saying that because Owen's here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We love you, Owen. <laughs> um, but there's, but there's lots of people. There's lots yeah. of stuff. I mean, Rudy, uh, Rudy, I think is a really important work. So I think that was like a real. Uh, I think that's one I really wanted to do. One of the things I think, like, reason I'm asking you, um, is because you've had like a unique. Uh, experience being involved in so many different Canadian cartooning scenes. Um, one of the things when I did my, my own book, um, I kind of specifically, when we figure out the order of the interviews, we put you in a specific spot because the three interviews before that all talk about you, like every artist, all these artists oh. mention you and like just like the role you've had with them, like Billy McRae talks about. Oh, right, of course, yeah. He like 
drawing with you that really opened him up. But these are all folks that come from different parts of the country, like Billy's in Montreal. I think um, yeah. Joe Ullman, well, he was in Montreal too, but now he's in lovely Hamilton. Yeah. Um, but different folks. And so you've kind of been a big part of the Canadian scene. And like I consider you one of the more important uh, Canadian cartoonists up there with, with Julie Doucet and Chat and, and Seth. Um, so it, it's, but because you've been so involved with small press, you've been around so much interesting stuff that most folks wouldn't know about. Yeah, I mean, this stuff pops out. Like Johnny Peterson, you know, you see that, and you're like, what? And Keith Jones, and there's a lot of stuff. And then Seth Scriver and Shane Eamon. I don't know if you've seen um, Asphalt Watches, but that's a real that's movie. Their yeah, that's their feature-length movie, and it's sort of, it was really nice. It's a really great film, and uh, it's sort of, the part of the story uh, is sort of about like sitting around and drawing with your with your friends, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of heartwarming to me. <laughs> do you still get a chance to do that? Just oh, a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm sort of I don't do nearly I don't do as much collaboration as I did. I'm just I'm just feel like sometimes I'm just treading water. I'm just trying to get done what I what I need to get done. Yeah. So, were you working on on Stroppy pretty close up to your deadline on it, or? Oh yeah, I mean. I, you know, I, 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 I had to kick it down the road a bit. I should have got it done earlier, but it, it was, it got, it was finished. It's done. <laughs> I remember when I finished it and then three days later I woke up and I woke up on the couch and I was like, oh my God, what the, what did I just do? What is that? <laughs> what, did, what did I just make? That what did thing, I put out into the world? Was crazy. You sent an email to your editor and like, I just get that back. <laughs> Well, I think I actually explained that story to Tom, and he's like, "Yep, it's nuts." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> All right. You just like push the deadline so far that it's just like, "Oh, gotta get this out now." No, no, no. It was no. I don't. I don't like to get real stressed. I know. I have an idea of when. I have an idea of how to pace yeah. pace it, even though I have to yeah push things back a bit sometimes. Now, because it had been so long since you'd done comics before, what's your, do you find your process has changed? Because I know you didn't exactly enjoy the laborious process of comics. Oh, comics before. are hard, but I find them very difficult. Mm-hmm. Or, or well, yeah, laborious. But then it makes sense because there's, I guess there's some kind of payoff because someone can read it. So it seems like that work is necessary. Do you find that... Uh comics reach a bigger audience than your fine art stuff? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess so, because, well, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to say, because, you know, the hot, there's the hot potato book, which would, you know, that's, that, that was probably the same print run as my comics, so, right, so I don't know, I guess it's sort of interchangeable. I mean, comics have, I think comics probably have more, a bigger potential. Mm-hmm. For, for a bigger audience, but then my, my comics are not... What am I, an artist's artist or something? I don't know. I have no idea what that even means anymore. I think it's probably, it's probably accurate. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably accurate. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, not, it's not me. It's not like mainstream work. It's, it's like your, your fine art stuff. It's, it has all 
a lot of aspects of your comics too. I mean, you're still using word bubbles and oh yeah stuff, yeah. and you're still using yeah. But it's kind of like a comic that's all compressed into one piece. Yeah. Or even like your uh, uh, your uh, 3D ones are still sort of comic like. Oh yeah, because they're kind of made out of. There's sort of there's still a grid going on. There's all these squares. Yeah. It's kind of like you've lost the grid and just put it all into thing. <laughs> all in a blender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I was uh, so adamant about you being kind of an artist, artist, because when I look at your work, it feels like you're having fun doing it in a way that like I can really relate to. Which is yeah. Nice. Do you have Do you have a lot of fun? Oh yeah. Yeah, see, my do- I don't. No? <laughs> no, no, I, I do a little bit. It might look like I'm having, I think it might appear like I'm having more fun than I am. But I think probably in the back of my mind I'm having fun because it's making up the weird language. consciously having fun. Yeah, because I mean, you know, because the, the writing is pretty goofy or I'm trying to make it funny. So, but I do find comics uh, like hard, hard work. Do you think the process from getting it to your brain, to your hand, to like the, you have fun up here, but maybe the process of bringing it to the yeah. actual thing is a, yeah, I want to get it out. It's but heartbreak- it's, yeah, it's yeah. heartbreaking because you can't, you, like I was Wait, saying before about the mind's eye, you can't. Yeah, you said the golf course was like way bigger, way trippier, but you oh, know, yeah. it's kind of like, I know my drawings and stuff, there's a drawing up here, yeah. but the thing... Yeah, you want to draw comes out. It's yeah. sometimes more simpler, and it's yeah. like so. You, you kind of get frustrated that you can't even bring it, yeah. bring it out. But you, you got to put something out there. Yeah, of course. And you got you got to try and get it out of your system, and yeah. So, but and you got to put some and then, stuff in there because give people what give people their <laughs> money's worth. Yeah, right? and then and then, you, <laughs> then you sometimes think that maybe people aren't even getting the pit the total picture you have in yeah. your head or the total idea yeah. or, or they don't even get the jokes. Or I, I, I tend to let myself, I have a, a vague idea when I start, but it's always, I know it's going to change so much that I yeah. have to kind of let it. Yeah, be. of course you have to. Yeah. Or else you'd probably drive yourself crazy. I mean, maybe some people are better at sticking to a plan, but, but I can't. Like I couldn't imagine being like, what goes on Chris Ware's head and it's just like all these boxes and stuff right I mentioned he's yeah. one of those guys that has notebooks of planning before he even draws a line on the final paper maybe right I don't know if he does no, though he no I don't think he, he does. does I don't yeah. think he does I think he said he he doesn't really plan them right yeah no it's true he, no. he's very and if you see his originals you can see how he'll try different things on the page oh, just mm-hmm. in the blue uh, before he inks it he uses a blue pen but then he's very decisive when it goes down. When it's down, right? it's down. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you pencil it all on, or do you uh, just straight ink? It's like it depends if it's just like one-off drawings. It's pretty like it, it's pretty easy to connect the head to the paper and do that and stuff. I mean, uh, comics is like a total different thing where you gotta put it in boxes yeah. and word bubbles and all that stuff. And do you? It's like you get frustrated with uh, fitting the word into the bubble and you're the whole trying to get your idea of what you're trying to get across sometimes might not come out into mm-hmm. the, that little those little frames and stuff and but yeah I I literally do like thumbnail sketches and then go straight to the paper 
figuring you probably, Mark, you probably have to do all your lettering before you do the drawing. Uh, no, I have penciling pencil. I do a lot of penciling. I do, I end up with really tight pencils. And then, and then what would I do? Then I would, let, then I would letter in pencil, mm-hmm. maybe. I forget. Um, now, <laughs> let folks know, Mark's going to be in Minneapolis August 8th and 9th for Autoptic, as well as the... I'm a, I'm a pinch hitter. There was a cancellation. The Canadian cancellation? Okay, there's a, yeah, there's a cancellation, so I'm a pinch hitter. <laughs> so that, and then, yeah. Uh, and that's going to be like a workshop thing for a week leading up to Autoptic? That's right. Well, well, folks, if you're in Minneapolis, I wish I could go. I really want to drive there with friends, but we couldn't. Oh boy, and then you won't have friends. That's like driving to the peg, Robin. (laughs) Well, the thing is, it's an amazing drive because you could go through Yellowstone and through the Badlands, but no one wants to do it. Uh, So, we almost had it, but yeah. But thank you so much, Mark, for coming over here. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Owen, thanks for having me. Thank you. Awesome. Brandon. Thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee was good. Coffee. Yeah, the muffins. The yeah. chocolate muffins from yeah. uh, Philo. Imported by Philo. life.